Today's scripture reading, we're going to be reading Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 through 11. <clears throat> now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit from the tr from the, the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Phil. Round of applause for Phil. He had a lot of announcements this morning and a long scripture passage. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, if we haven't met yet, my name is Allie Wilson. I'm one of the pastors here at Reality. Uh, Pastor Josh is away at a partner church south of the city this morning. Rashad is in Kenya. So Mandy and I are holding down the fort this morning. And I'm excited to be the one who gets to kick off this series on hearing God's voice. This topic has been a central theme in my life with God, and it's been one of the most transformative and powerful things that I've learned as a follower of Jesus. So we hope that this series will be really practical. We want to provide some biblical foundations, and we also want to give some practical tools and techniques that actually will help us tune in and discern and respond to God's voice. But this morning, I want to start by just talking about why God speaks and how we know it and why it matters. So for those of you who don't know me, I grew up in Southern California, moved to Boston about eight years ago. And when I was in grade school in Southern California, we were not yet in a drought. So every time it rained, uh, we got to go into the gym and had the privilege of playing indoor kickball. I don't know how familiar you are with kickball. It's basically a combination of soccer and dodgeball and baseball. So there's this, this big awkward rubber ball that gets rolled down to someone at home plate who then kicks it and runs the bases. And the way that you get someone out is by tagging them like in baseball, but by throwing this giant awkward rubber ball at them. So if you can't tell, I didn't really like playing kickball. 
Uh, if I were to play kickball today, maybe it would be fun, but as a second grader, that giant rubber ball was about half the size of my body. I wasn't very strong, I wasn't very coordinated, and whenever I tried to kick the ball, my foot would kind of like hit it sideways. It would go in any direction other than the one I intended. When I got hit by the ball, it would knock me over or at least like shake my whole body. It was embarrassing for me <laughs> to play this game in front of my classmates. I hated being at bat with everyone watching. I hated running the bases with everyone watching. And most of all, I hated doing this in front of my childhood crush, Chase. So whenever it rained and we got to play kickball in the gym, I would excuse myself to the bathroom and I would hide in the stall for absolutely as long as possible, ideally until the period ended. Now, don't get me wrong, it was embarrassing and a little bit scary for me waiting in the bathroom for Ms. Coleman to find me, but it was still better than how uncomfortable and exposed I felt playing kickball with my classmates. And this may seem silly, but I think this is a common human experience. I can think of a lot of moments in my life as a kid and as an adult where I did basically the equivalent of hiding in the bathroom. We all do this in some way. We avoid being seen, being exposed. We all carry in us this instinct to hide. On some level, we all want to avoid that painfully uncomfortable feeling of being exposed and being vulnerable to rejection or ridicule. I don't know if you know this, but people name the fear of public speaking more quickly, more highly than death. That nightmare about finding yourself naked in public is one of the top four most reported common stress dreams that people have. And this fear of being seen, this instinct to hide, it's what we see in the story of Adam and Eve in Genesis 3. So we come into this chapter at the tail end of the creation account. In chapters 1 and 2, God has spoken creation into existence, created man and woman, given them dominion over the plants and the animals, and given them this lovely garden in which to live and work. And in this garden, there are trees. And there's one tree in particular that God tells Adam and Eve that they should not eat from. They can eat from all the other trees, except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And this is where we pick things up in chapter 3. In verse 1, the crafty, cunning serpent approaches Eve and he turns her attention away from God and away from Adam and toward this forbidden tree. So we read that he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And she said, well, we, we can eat from the trees, but God said you must not eat from this one tree in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you'll die. And the serpent responds, you won't die. But God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Notice how Eve gets drawn in first by the serpent's suggestion in verse 4 that maybe God's not really being honest. Like God can't really be trusted. He doesn't really have her best interest at heart. Maybe God's lying a little bit. And then she gets hooked in verse 5 by this possibility that she could actually be like God. She could know what God knows and see what God sees and essentially have what she needs to live life on her own 
and it's enticing. So she eats the fruit, and she gives some to Adam. And then they kind of get what they came for. In verse 7, we read, The eyes of both of them were opened. They realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. It's like in an instant, Adam and Eve become aware of themselves, of their nakedness. And this awareness immediately makes them want to cover up and hide. This moment um, reminds me of a scene from the new Barbie movie. So if you haven't seen it, I apologize for the mini-spoiler. But there's a moment early on when Barbie and Ken arrive in the real world and they're out in public for the first time and people are gawking and staring and it's like we're watching Barbie kind of try to make sense of the experience she's having. She says, I feel kind of ill at ease. Like I don't know the word for it. Like I'm conscious, but it's myself I'm conscious of. It's a lot like that nightmare where you show up at school or work and you realize you're naked and everyone's staring at you. It's unsettling. It gives me butterflies just thinking about it. So here we are, Adam and Eve. Only a few verses earlier at the end of chapter two, it says that they were naked and felt no shame. And here they are having this same unsettling experience They're naked and they want to hide. They don't want to be seen by each other or by God. So when God shows up walking around in the garden in the cool of the day and he can't find them, he asks, where are you? And Adam responds, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And I think this is pretty heartbreaking. Try to imagine with me the look on God's face when he asks Adam, who told you you were naked? (laughs) Did you eat from that tree I told you not to eat from? When I imagine this moment, I imagine a flash of anger followed quickly by deep sadness and disappointment as God realizes what's been lost. It's not just that they didn't trust him in his goodness and follow what he told them to do. It's that they've lost their innocence their freedom, their willingness to allow themselves to be seen and to be known. It's a loss of relationship, a loss of connection. I think the most fundamental thing that happens in these few verses is that the initial relationship between God and his creation is interrupted. The intimacy, the trust, the just being together, the knowing of each other, it's all interrupted. The story of scripture is really the story of a God who extends himself in love first to create humanity and then to reach for that humanity over and over and over again for the sake of relationship. To extend himself to repair this rift in relationship, to repair our ability to be seen and known and connected in the fullness of who we are. Did you know that humans are innately social creatures? We physically don't have what it takes to survive on our own. So we're wired for social connection and belonging, and we're also wired to fear and avoid abandonment at all costs, all to help us survive. The need for relationship and connection is built into our DNA. It's how we're built. It's how we're made. Even in Genesis 1, it says, 
And then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God existed in the community of the Trinity and then made humanity in the image of that community. We were made for relationship. And I would assert to you this morning that the most important, most meaningful, most valuable relationship that you were made for is a relationship with the God who created you. But I want to clarify what I mean by that. Because for me, growing up in church, whenever anyone told me that I was made for a relationship with God, that what I needed was a relationship with God, it was always in the context of salvation. Confess your sin and believe in Jesus, and you'll have a repaired relationship with God. And that's true. I do believe that expressing faith in Jesus is the foundation of a repaired relationship with God. It's actually only part of it. Because a relationship with God is more than an abstract idea. It's more than a transaction that happens one time. Relationships are living, breathing things that grow with us and with time and with connection. So when my husband Josh and I first met back in 2015, we were introduced by a mutual friend. I know it's kind of an antiquated way of meeting people. So we were set up on essentially a blind date. And at the time, I was pretty cynical of dating. This was my, like, last, sure, I'll go, and then I'll just be single for a while. And so when I left, I told my roommate I'd be home in 45 minutes. <laughs> and five hours later, I walked in the front door. She was a little bit panicked. <laughs> because after two hours of conversation over coffee, we moved on to dinner, and then an hour and a half after that, we walked around town for a while until he offered to drive me home. It was pretty stunning to me, honestly, because for those of you who know Josh, he's an extrovert, but I'm not. And I really couldn't believe how much we had to talk about. And that was just our first date. So when we were getting ready for our wedding, Josh got curious about how many words we had actually exchanged over the previous year and a half of our relationship. So like the good nerd that he is, he went and collected all of our Facebook messages and our text threads and it turns out that we had exchanged almost 500,000 words written. And that didn't even include our in-person conversations. It's a lot of communicating. It's a lot of getting to know each other. Think about some of your closest relationships. Maybe it's a romantic partner or a really dear friend. Maybe it's your mom or a favorite coworker. When that relationship was developing, how often did you communicate? And how about now, when you think about your closest relationships, regardless of who you say is most important to you, the people that you're closest to are the ones that you communicate with the most. Because communication is the life source of our relationships. Communication is how we share our thoughts and our feelings, our needs and our boundaries, our hopes and our dreams. It's how we connect and it's how we're known. And the very first thing we learn about God in scripture is that he communicates. It's through a speech act in Genesis 1 that the world is created. And then God just keeps on speaking. 
to Adam and Eve in the garden, to Moses in a burning bush, to Samuel as a voice in the night, to David, to the prophets, and on and on and on and on, all the way until the Word became flesh and dwelt among us in Jesus. So in John 10, 27, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. Jesus is saying that a defining characteristic of people who follow him is that they hear his voice. Like sheep who know the voice of their shepherd and refuse to follow anyone else. To be a follower of Jesus is to be a person who knows and recognizes the voice of God. So how do we do that? How is it that God communicates to us? It's not the same as talking to your friend or your coworker, right? Well, God communicates to us through his word and scripture and then through the person of Jesus. But it doesn't stop there because if stories and letters were all that was available, our relationship with God would be secondhand, like the relationship we might have with a deceased grandparent that we'd never actually met. And then a little later in John, Jesus says, but I tell you the truth, it's for your good that I'm going away because unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Jesus promises that our relationship with God is actually improved by his absence, by his ultimately resurrection, that we can be even more connected, have even better communication with God than if Jesus were here himself because the Holy Spirit is available to us to be our guide to speak to us, to point us to truth, to enable us to have this life of intimacy and communication and conversation with God. In this series on hearing God's voice, we're going to dig into the different ways that God speaks to us through scripture, through our life circumstances, through impressions of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to introduce several tools and spiritual practices that will help us tune in and discern and respond to God's voice. But what I hope you walk away with this morning is a conviction or at least a curiosity about the possibility that the God of the universe is a God who communicates, that he wants to communicate with you, and that through the power of the Holy Spirit, you can actually learn to hear his voice. Rusty Rustenbach says, learning to listen to God is a process that starts awkwardly and grows slowly, but develops and matures until it's hard to see how you could have ever lived without it. For many of us who call ourselves Christians, we tend to relate to prayer more like leaving a voicemail message than having a conversation. And that's not bad, talking to God isn't bad, it's just not the same as having a conversation. It's not the same as pausing after we've spoken to listen and hear what God might have to say in response. Because of all of the voices in your life, 
I would offer that the most important voice for you to hear is the voice of God. And God is speaking. All of scripture is the story of a God who extends himself in love to create humanity and then to reach for us over and over and over again for the sake of a relationship. God wants to be with us. He wants us to allow ourselves to be seen and known. And he wants us to see and know him too. This is wild, you guys. God wants us to hear and to know and to recognize his voice. And this is not something that we do one time. It's something that we practice. Just like in all the other important relationships in your life, it takes time to learn to recognize someone's voice. So when they call you and there's no caller ID, you recognize it on the other end. So this morning I want to introduce a simple but powerful practice to help us tune into the voice of God. And I'm borrowing this language of tuning in from Brad Jerzak, who compares our ability to hear God's voice to that of a radio adjusting its antenna. The idea is that God is always communicating. We just have to get ourselves dialed in. And like I said, we're going to spend a lot of time over the next six weeks talking about the possible ways that this can look. But instead of talking more about it, I want to give us a moment to actually possibly experience it. So we're going to practice tuning in through reading scripture, but in a different way than maybe you've done it before. We're going to practice what's called a reflective listening of scripture. We're going to listen to scripture, but we're going to pause and make some space to also listen to the active voice of God. And what I want to offer you this morning is I want to invite you to trust. I think for a lot of us, especially those of us who've been raised in church, the first question that comes up when people say, hear God's voice is, well, how do you know it's God's voice? What if I'm hearing my own voice? What if I'm hearing someone else's voice? What if I'm hearing something I was told 10 years ago? That's possible. But we're gonna pray and we're gonna come before God and I'm gonna ask you to trust that when something occurs to you, when something comes into your mind, even if it sounds like your voice, even if it's an image or a word that seems weird, to just consider the possibility that that's actually God's spirit within you speaking something to you. And we're gonna talk about discernment. There's a lot of ways to discern if what you're hearing is God's voice. But I want to offer that the most important first step is that we pause and listen and open ourselves to the possibility that God is speaking. All right, so I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. And we're going to do uh, a reading of scripture from John 10. And before we start, I want you to just take a deep breath. And do that again. Take another deep breath.
And just pause to notice all the possible distractions in this room. You can keep your eyes closed, but notice how hot it is, the sound of the fans, maybe the grumbling of your stomach. Notice all the things that could be distracting. No problem. We can be a little bit distracted. And I invite you to just gently put those things aside. God, I pray that as we make space this morning, as we come before you wondering if you have something to say to us, would you give us ears to hear you? Would you give us eyes to see you? So as you listen this first time, and you can keep your eyes closed or lower your gaze to the floor if that's more comfortable for you. As you listen this first time, I just want to invite you to let the words kind of wash over you. Don't try to hold on to anything in particular. Just let the words wash over you. So these are the words of Jesus in John 10. Very truly, I tell you, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. But the one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he's brought all, out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. They'll never follow a stranger. In fact, they'll run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Very truly, I tell you, I'm the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. We'll just pause for a moment of silence. And I'm gonna read this passage again, exactly the way I just read it. And as you listen the second time, I want you to notice if there are any words or phrases that jump out at you. What word or phrase stands out to you? Very truly, I tell you, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Very truly, I tell you, I'm the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. 
I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And we'll pause for another moment of silence to just notice what stands out to you. And keeping your eyes closed, I want you to consider a couple other questions. So notice in this passage how Jesus talks about different potential voices. So I want you to think about for a moment some of the different voices in your life. Maybe there are even faces of specific people that come to mind. Who are some of the most important voices in your life? The ones that tend to be the loudest. And what's the message of these voices? What are they often saying to you? Maybe the loudest voice, usually the loudest voice, is our own. What is your voice usually saying to you? Do the messages of these voices bring life? Or do they sometimes try to steal or kill or destroy? If Jesus is a good shepherd, if God's voice is a voice of love, what might the good shepherd be wanting to say to you this morning? I want you to actually pause here and ask him silently in your own way. Jesus, God, what do you want to say to me this morning? And then just notice just notice what comes into your mind. Maybe it's a word or a phrase. Maybe it's just a sense of an idea. Maybe it's uh, something small and subtle. And if you haven't heard or sensed anything, just pause for another moment and ask God, God, is there something you want to say to me this morning? And if you got a sense of something and it doesn't make sense to you, ask God about that. Huh, God seems like maybe this came to mind. What does that mean?
keeping your eyes closed, we're going to ask God a few more questions. I'm going to ask a question, and then I'm going to just pause for a moment of silence. And again, invite you to just notice what comes into your mind. And I'm going to phrase these questions so that you can ask them of God yourself, if you would like. So as you consider and imagine looking at the face of God, 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 what do you see when you look at me? God, what do you see when you look at me? And God, what brings you pleasure about me? God, what is pleasing to you about me? And God, am I carrying anything that I shouldn't be? Am I carrying anything that I need to give over to you? And if so, is there something that you want me to do? And I just want to invite you to pause here for one final moment and just have a silent conversation with God. Maybe you want to say thank you for something that you heard. Maybe you have another question you want to ask. Maybe you didn't really hear anything and you want to talk to God about that. Let's just take a final moment of silence to have a brief conversation with God. Lord God, as we sit in silence together and turn our attention to you, I'm reminded of the verse, God, I believe, help my unbelief. That God, we can simultaneously believe that you are there and that you are speaking and wonder if you're there and if you're speaking. And God, I pray as we go into this next six weeks, And look at what it means that you speak and that we can hear your voice. That you would open our ears and our eyes to hear you. God, I pray that we wouldn't just learn good information about you, but that we would encounter you and experience you.
because God of all of the voices in our lives, yours is the one that we need to hear the most. Amen.